Shio friends, in today's Lost Coast series, we're going to talk about the Tarahumara. And I'm starting with this because I think as we go further and further into MMIW, we sometimes forget what the meaning of Indigenous is. So I did some research to find the best way to describe what it means to be Indigenous so I don't completely sound off base, even though I probably should be able just to say it outright since, you know, I'm Indigenous but I wanted to sound smart. So I found this from worldbank.org, which is not an actual bank, I checked. According to their website, it says it works with global partnerships to find sustainable solutions that reduce poverty and build shared prosperity in developing countries. Anyways, it had a great explanation of what indigenous is by stating, quote, indigenous peoples are distinct social and cultural groups that share collective ancestral ties to the lands and natural resources where they live, occupy, or from which they have been displaced. It also states that there are an estimated 476 million indigenous peoples worldwide. Although they make up just 6% of the global population, they account for about 19% of the extreme poor. If, the, if that is true, and we're only 6% of the global population, you can just see how dire the MMIW epidemic truly is. So when I talk about the Tarahumara, it is a group of indigenous people that are primarily located in the southwestern Chihuahua state in northern Mexico. I read that the Tarahumara culturally show similarities to the Aztecan people and are actually renowned for their long distance running ability. Because I don't know much about this group of indigenous people, I went to Britannica.com and read that the land inhabited by the Tarahumara is high broken plateau cut by deep gorges and canyons. The climate is reasonably cool, but conditions are not particularly suited for agriculture. The Tarahumara, who were forced from more hospitable lands by Spanish settlers, are nonetheless small-scale farmers growing corn, beans, squash, and potatoes, and tending orchards. So as you probably have guessed, today's story covers a Tarahumara woman who was found dead in Wichpick, a small community on the Yurik Reservation in Humboldt County in Northern California. It was 1991, the last time Christina Lastra saw her mother, Alicia Lara. She was looking over her camping gear, and Christina described how beautiful she looked with her hair up in a bunch. They said their I love yous, and that was it. Alicia had been found dead in the passenger seat of her car that same year. It was in July 1991 that Christina learned that her mother's death was ruled an accident. However, after hearing from an anonymous witness that stated that someone had seen her mother bleeding and badly beaten in the passenger seat of her car, it led her to push the coroner's office for more information. And she was told that her mother's death showed evidence that it was actually a homicide. Now, the Humboldt County Sheriff at the time, William Hansel, told CalMatters that Alicia's case didn't strike him as particularly suspicious, but that he did have trouble understanding how Alicia had gotten into the passenger seat, and an investigation into the case was never opened. So to recap, before I go on, in 1991, that's 30 years ago, Alicia had been found dead in the passenger seat of her car, despite the evidence of her bleeding and badly beaten, and again, found in the passenger seat of the car. Her death was ruled an accident. So, I gotta ask, who was the driver? Are we to believe she crawled into the passenger seat herself? What were the circumstances of the accident? What shape was the car in? 
does anybody else have a hundred questions here besides me? Because even on the top of the questionable circumstances of how she was found, the coroner a year later shared that he believed her death to be a homicide. If this is the case, a murderer has spent the last 30 years of their life, possibly enjoying their freedom. Now, I couldn't find any mention of why, but Christina is convinced that the driver was an accomplice to her stepfather, a white illegal marijuana grower who died two months later after this incident. She also believes her mother's death was classified as an accident because authorities did not deem her case worth investigating, stating, quote, it's unfortunate that we are treated as if we don't count. What we do know now over the last year, as we've presented these cases to you guys, that the data collection surrounding MMIW is severely lacking, not just by jurisdictional issues, which is huge, but also with misclassification. The study done from the Sovereign Bodies Institute indicated that the misclassification of Native American women as white and the labeling of many deaths as accidental, despite the evidence to the contrary, calls it a chronic and pervasive failure to investigate. Anita Lucchese, the executive director of the Institute, told CalMatters that there is no reliable data on missing Native women in California and that more than half of the cases in the state were not in official missing persons databases. She stated, quote, women after women disappearing. It creates a sense of hopelessness. It makes it feel like this is a world that we can't live in anymore. Now, I found this really detailed report that covers MMIW in Northern California called a year one project report on missing and murdered Indigenous women, girls, and two-spirit people of Northern California. It had a lot of great information in it. And I'll link it in the show notes, and I encourage you guys to read it. But if you don't, I'm just going to read a little bit of what I found. The report states, quote, Overall, cases in Northern California represent half of all instances of racial misclassification the SBI has documented across the state. This rampant misclassification is most frequently rooted in stereotypes about what Indigenous people are supposed to look like without regard to the multitude of skin tones, hair types, heights, and body shapes that exist across Indian country. In Northern California, 37% of cases where case classification is known were misclassified as suicide, undetermined, or accidental. There is no explanation as to why Alicia's death was not classified as a homicide. And nearly 30 years later, Christina told the authors of this report that she would like to know why the Humboldt County officials didn't do anything and why they felt compelled to tell her and her brother that their mother died in a car accident. She said, quote, the coroner seemed like such a nice man, but to me, he was probably trying to protect me. But that's not honoring my mother and that's not honoring his oath or society by any means to allow a murderer to not be held accountable. As of this day, Alicia Lara's death is still ruled accidental and her daughter, Christina Lastra, is still searching for answers. We have very limited information about what truly happened to Alicia, but she deserves not just justice, but the decency of having her case investigated. Because if you are like me, I don't believe it was an accident. Somebody out there knows something and it's time to come forward. Thank you for listening to We Are Resilient. For links to information found for this episode, you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at We Are Resilient Podcast. Send us an email at weareresilientpod at gmail.com or visit us at www.war-podcast.com.